Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. If the audio on this intro sounds a little different, I promise you the, rep- the rest of the episode will sound perfect. I am in the process of moving, and I just haven't unpacked my equipment. Uh, we are joined by a great guest, Travis McElroy, uh, along with guest host Jacob Haller. Uh, Travis is the host of about eight podcasts, but most notably, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Uh, we got connected through uh, Jacob Haller, essentially, on Twitter. And um, I was really excited. It was fun to learn that uh, Travis has been on a podcast I love called Let's Rewatch and a show called Let's Drink with the fine folks over at Laugh Stash, uh, Laugh Stash TV. Uh, both uh, Brett and Ashley have been on the show, so that was like kind of cool immediately. It was like, oh, all right, we, we know some of the same people. Uh, big shout out for Jacob, who's a great podcast host of Love YA Like Crazy and Tell Me About Your Song, also a great musician. Now, all of the links for everyone you're going to need are on the website, coretemparts.com. I just encourage you to go there. But if you want to find more about Travis online, he is on Twitter, at Travis McElroy. His website, travismcelroy.com. Uh, Travis is a fucking awesome dude. Uh, he's a professional podcast host, so I think anyone who does podcasting and is just like, ah, you could do that? That's what I thought, and I definitely pick his brain. Great guy, great storyteller. So happy to have him. Uh, make sure you find me on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast. I'm just going to keep this intro super short because of the lack of uh, recording equipment. Well, uh, shout out to Brianna and let's get to it. Let's Chat with Revel and Friends is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows that popped this live, Talking Shondaland, We Got Five, and TV Ate My Brain at courtsandparts.com. The hard, the hard, you never thought that this cop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight, cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kid Capri. Folks, Master Flex, Love Bug, Star uh, Yep. You know, uh, Travis, this actually was kind of fun when I was like doing, like, I guess you would call it research. Um, it turned out I didn't realize that you were on. Um, oh, jeez, how am I blanking? Let's rewatch with uh, the uh, the laugh stash folk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I did that uh, very. I did that, and I also did let's drink with them. Oh. Uh, I'm trying to remember what month that was. I, I maybe January. I did a bunker buddies like uh, post apocalyptic themed drink. Uh, with me and Andy went on there with Brett and Ashley. Yeah, Ash has been on a couple times, and Brett's been on, and I'm like that. I was like, oh man. This is a small, weird podcasting world. They're super fucking wonderful people. That was one of the yeah. They are. They are absolute delights. Watch the Goonies with them, right? Yeah. Oh, it was a treat. That today, and I was like, and that's not that's not a movie I saw until I was like maybe like fifteen. So I don't think I ever got it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think it was a good movie after I listened to you guys talk about it. So I'm gonna go watch it again. I'm glad we could. I'm glad we could hypnotize you into, like a, into liking the Goonies. A classic, classic movie. That's what you guys did. It was it was so cool. It's like oh man, I, I love the podcasting community because everyone's so everyone's so fucking nice, and yeah, this is so cool. Uh, I'm sure I know you must, especially like the 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 grassroots pie. I like there's two different podcasting worlds, and there's kind of like people. And I, I, let me preface by saying I don't think either one of them are wrong, but there's like the people who came at it from like you know between my TV shows and my comedy tours and my movies i've got some free time to kill yep why not talk more about movies which is great but i think that there's this whole other world 
of people who are like, I bought a $10 microphone at Walmart, and I sat down with my friend Steve, and we talked about our favorite 90s cartoons. And now, like 10 years later, it's a huge, their podcast has grown to this like phenomenon kind of thing. Like those kinds of people tend to be uh, so nice because I think no matter how big their shows get, they're never going to think of themselves as like famous. Well, it's funny because I think Jacob. Oh, sorry. Someone was at my door talking to my wife. Like, what the fuck is happening? Um, well, <laughs> I think that's kind of funny because I think Jacob and I are in that like just couple of dudes making podcasts in our, our bedrooms. And you're kind of like, did you start that way? And then I think from my understanding, this is like your full on career. Yeah, do it full time about uh forty to fifty hours a week. Damn, that's like uh, that's like the podcaster's dream come true. I didn't even know that was possible until um, um I, I saw your start recently. I was like, huh, I didn't know we could do that. Uh, I don't think I yep. ever will. <laughs> I I think I am fairly unique in that. I don't know, like I don't think that the professional podcaster is a uh, a, a well trod path quite yet. No, it's new. Um, which. Yeah, which you can find that just by, like, going on Amazon and searching for, like, how to make money podcasting books. Yep. And they're the most inane, like, that's not true kind of books. Um, but, yeah, and it, it helps that I do, like, eight shows. Um, I used to do nine and cut it down to eight shows. Um, one of them, granted, is once a year. So that one's pretty easy to, to handle. But the other ones, um, you know, I'm doing... Yeah, I conservatively 20, let's see, 28, uh, 26 episodes a month of something. Um, cause I do six weekly shows and then one every other week. So I'm putting out six episodes a week, um, seven, uh, every other week. So yeah, 26 episodes. Man, I haven't thought about it in that context. That's a lot. I mean, I can see I'm doing way too much. I'm going to scale it back. I see why that's full I see that's why that's full time, man. Like this I have like a full time job and then this and that's too much for me. I'm like, all right. Got to slow down this week. <laughs> yeah, and then on top of that, like we try to tour as much as we can. Is that where um, we try to make like YouTube stuff? Like, do you, I'm, not to like get into like your finances, but do you treat it no, as like a... I'm very rich. I'm very comfortable. So I, I hope you I've are. I've got a money pit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've I've got a, I, I do 26 episodes and I make about a million dollars per episode. <laughs> um, no, it it really comes from um, we got very very we are very fortunate. No, actually, like I we very early on on like episode 30 of my brother, my brother and me, which was uh, about five and a half years ago now. Um, a lot of people who enjoyed the show went to Jesse Thorne at MaximumFun.org and said, you got to check out the show. I think it'll be a great fit for Max Fun. And Jesse reached out to us and we joined Maximum Fun. And Max Fun is a donor-supported network, which means that once a year we do a pledge drive um, where people pledge monthly donations and they get to pick which shows they listen to. So then um, 30% of the donation goes to the network, but then the rest goes to support the shows that people listen to. So we have been, uh, people like our show and have been supporting our show now for uh, about five years. So we exist because listeners support us directly. And we'll also do ads, but we limit those um, to as infrequently as we can 
Uh, my brother, my brother and me gets a lot of ads because we have a very committed audience, but we put a limit on those in the beginning where we said we're only going to do two personal ads and two uh, business ads per episode. And we've stuck to that so that we don't overwhelm the episodes with ads. But mostly I'm able to do this professionally and add the shows to the network that I have because people support our shows. So it's a really great kind of cycle of people support us so we can give them more stuff. It's kind of the NPR model. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Jesse uh, came from NPR. The show he does uh, called Bullseye, which was originally called The Sound of Young America, is an NPR show. So when he was uh, structuring Max Fun, he kind of built it off the NPR model, which I don't know that any other podcast network is doing. And I feel like it has built a really strong community uh, of listeners because they feel very invested and they feel very like they have uh, some say in the shows on the network, which they do. And it's also built a network of shows that really appreciates our audience. Like my audience is very important to me because without them, I couldn't feed my family. I couldn't yeah, like live without my audience. Yeah. You know, Jacobs, you're here always. Um, we're like podcast pals and we're in this like cool Facebook group with a bunch of people. And you're always uh, talking so positively about the maximum fun network. And that was like, oh, I should check it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i just a big fan. I mean, I love it. I love the network. I listened to it before we joined, and I still listen to it now. Yeah, um, I was, you know, I've been, I, I've been listening. I think, I feel like the first, when I started listening to podcasts, the first podcast I listened to was The Sound of Young America at the time. And then from there, I got into Jordan Jesse Go when that was launched, and then Stop podcasting yourself. I think was the second was this, you know, was the first outside mm-hmm. show that got brought in, and then I think you guys were next. So I believe so. It was something like that. We were pretty early on. Yeah, and the uh, the listener funded model has always been, <clears throat> pardon me, like that's always been kind of sort of inspirational to me in a way. Just because I mean, particularly the way Jesse used to really plug it as. You know, the and still does certainly is, um, you know, that this is something that you love, which you now can say I helped make. Um, and I I remember when Slate introduced Slate Plus, which is a subscription service, which among other things give you ad free versions of podcasts. And I signed up for that. And one of the things was like, why do you? Why are you doing, you know, why did you sign up for Slate Plus? And they're all that like, I wanted to get rid of the ads. I wanted to get Dear Prudence early, you know, whatever. There are a million things. <clears throat> so I selected other and I said, I like to give money to people who create things that I like. And yeah. in their in their first newsletter, they were like, you know, one of the things we were shocked by is the number of people who are just like, you make something I love and I wanted to give you some money for it. Um, so I think that impulse is there and I feel like more people should kind of pay attention to it attention to it and realize that they don't have to run you know ads for um whatever that terrible gambling site is and, oh uh, I, I know what you're talking about yeah i think that the problem is is that for for way 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 too long there hasn't been a comparative pop culture model like that where it's like if you look at tv if you look at movies if you look at all like it's not about I love it, so I support it. Like, when you hear people talk about mm-hmm. that, like, it's like the, for a long time, it's these, like, weird spheres of fandom where people are like, I I don't know how this cult classic stays alive, but it does. 
And now one of the best things about podcasting and about the internet in general is I feel like the, the, the connection between audience and creator is the connections getting so much tighter and closer that like I put up an episode and like 10 seconds later, someone on Twitter is like, Hey, that was a really great intro. And I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Like my, I get immediate (laughs) feedback, good and bad. And I can put up like, an hour before I record, like, hey, I'm going to be talking about such and such news story on this week's trends like these. Any input? And, like, a 100 people would be like, yeah, I think this, and I think this, and I think this. And so I get, like, direct feedback, and I get input from them. And when I do something they like, they let me know through stuff like the crowdfunding and through, like, our, you know, our yearly fund drives. And, you know, I do a show that's not on Max Fun called Intero Bang that's supported by a Patreon. And even that is mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I, I'm not the first person to do a Patreon for a podcast, but it's shocking and supportive to see like, oh, you like it. It's not like I made my money from an advertiser and a production company pays me my check. Like I can see the names of the people who listen to my thing and like it enough that they donated $3 a month. And I yeah. think that that's very unique and uh, to to the internet, to the internet age, where, you know, if you're Dick Van Dyke and you're starring in the Dick Van Dyke show, you don't look at your paycheck and see every individual viewer of the show and know that they liked it enough to like they're watching it and advertisers keep track of how many people watch it and that's how much money they pay for it like all of that used to dictate how popular a show was and not how invested you were so one of the things i like about like the the audience donor model is you can have a smaller audience but they're super committed like that cult classic like idea and be as supportive as a super popular podcast where everyone kind of casually listens to it, but their download numbers are high enough that advertisers will pay them a bunch of money to advertise on it. And like, I'd rather have a small but really committed audience than like people who check in once every two months to see if there's a guest on that they like. Um, and, and so I, I really like Max Fun's model and in general, like the Patreon model of like, if people like it, they'll pay for it. And if they don't, like, they won't. I like that. I, I really agree with that. And I, I think one of the greatest things about uh, podcast too is like, uh, like Jacob and I, we're fans of my brother and my brother and me. So I've, I've listened to you talk for hours and hours and hours. So it's strange. Like, I know we don't know each other, but I kind of feel like I know you. But now I have the opportunity to actually speak to you. And like, I would, I, I've never been in the same room with Dick Van Dyke and I probably never will be. But you know, it's it's a cool feeling, and I, I've gotten to talk to some of my favorite musicians. I got to talk to a Simpsons writer, which was like blew my fucking mind because I'm a huge Simpsons nerd. So it's like I couldn't do that. God, eleven years ago, podcast didn't exist. Eleven years. Ago. I know, I know, right? And and I mean, even now, like I think it's it's interesting because I think people in the the podcast world consider them so like widespread and so prominent and so everywhere. But I remember two years ago having to sit people down and explain to them, like, well, it's an internet radio show that you can find on iTunes. No, just go to Google, search my brother, my brother, and me, and put the word podcast. Like, 
And now it seems like everyone's like, yeah, I listen to, I've always listened to podcasts. And it's like, oh, you didn't. I know you didn't because I was doing this six years ago. You're not even talking and like, about like adults. I mean, people my, I'm 30, 31, but I mean, people my age would be like, what's a pot last year? What's a podcast? Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me, man? Well, I, I hate to break it to you, but we are adults. I mean, I'm 32. <laughs> like, we're adults. Okay. You know, real adults. adults. Like Obama, when oh, I, I mean, I feel like everyone, when Obama did WTF, I felt like the entire movement went up like three pegs. Because then, like, my, my grandma's yeah. like, Your mother says you did a podcast like that. Did you have Obama on your show? Like, no. But I'm glad you know what that word is. Not, not yet, Grandma, but thank yeah. you. No, Obama passed on me. It's yeah. yeah. Fine. I get it. Obama's Maybe someday, here. but that's the thing. It's like, but it's a blessing and a curse yeah. because I, I, the problem is, and I, I talk about this all the time because I think it's it's a facet of podcasts that I wish more people talked about, which is that podcasts are a beautiful thing because anyone can do them. Um, when I, I was just on uh, Less Than Live with Kate Leth and talking about that. When we started, my brother, my brother, and me, I had a $10 combination headset microphone from Walmart. Griffin had the microphone from the rock band, uh, from the video game rock band. And Justin, I think, had like a $20 uh, thing that he'd ordered from Amazon. And we started, we had no idea. Our audio quality was absolute shit. And like, we sounded like we were talking into tin cans connected with string. And people still like gave it a chance. And liked it enough that they kept listening to it. And eventually we were able to like improve our audio quality and all that stuff and get better at it. But like anybody can start a podcast. If you got like $10, you could start a podcast. But the problem is, is the other side of that is that means like anybody can start a podcast. So it's so hard to like find new podcasts to listen to because you have to like wade through so much stuff. Like if right now you said, I want to listen to a podcast about vintage video games, I guarantee you're going to find 200 at least. And so then how do you know what's good? Well, you look at the iTunes reviews and it's like, well, they only have five, but they're all really positive. And this one has 300, but like a hundred of them are like one star reviews. So I don't know how that, like it's such a muddy, you know, new old west kind of scenario where everyone's trying to figure out what's the right way to podcast what's the right way to monetize a podcast without killing your audience do you put it behind a paywall well if you put it behind a paywall you're going to cut your audience in half but you'll end up making money on it so do you do advertisers well how do you find advertisers and then you get into the advertising company and you're going to end up losing 50 percent of your money to an advertising company okay so do you like all of that no one knows how to do it and there's no trail blazed for it and so, like, when I started doing so many podcasts, I didn't think it was abnormal. I just kept having ideas for shows. But then as I kept adding new shows, people were like, what are you doing? Like, you don't have to do this. And I was like, oh, but, like, why not? Why not do it? And everyone was like, oh, yeah, okay. And then people, like, I talked to you, and you're like, hey, you're doing this full time. I didn't even know that was possible. And it's like, yeah, I didn't know it was possible to do eight shows. But, like, I just started doing it. And it worked. And so I and I'm it's not that I'm some visionary dude. It's just that no one knows what they're doing in regards to podcasts. Well, you're kind of the, and the like even, I've been doing it for six years. And I tell you what, iTunes charts are still a fucking mystery to me. <laughs> like, I know that it's some sort of like algorithm that has to do with how often and compared to last Tuesday and what it is this week versus. But like, OK. 
Someone puts out a brand new show that gets 100 downloads and suddenly they're in the second position behind the Nerdist and above WTF and then the next day they're off the chart. So like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I, I never yeah, like what the fuck yeah, does it like even mean? And I'm like, I don't have that many downloads. Why the fuck am I on this list? Yeah, because it means you know, nothing. Like it it's all comparative, but it is a good metric for your own personal growth. Yeah. But like, it's not like well, if you're third to WTF and Nerdist, that you're in the same category oh, as them. God, no. Like, I'm not yeah, gonna call so like, like, hey, do you want to see my hundreds of downloads and get me connected? Exactly. So like, type? how do you compare? How do you compare that shit? Because it's not like you can go. There actually was just a um, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but this company that like, if you oh, signed on track. to track your demo, yeah, you signed on to track your demographics, and suddenly they're like publishing all these people's downloads and like max fun didn't yeah. sign on to it thank god or i'd be very upset but like oh okay and but the other side of that is like i crave that transparency like i would love to know what downloads on like nerdist shows and earwolf shows yeah. and cave radio and all things comedy i want to know what their downloads are just because i want input to know like what the face of podcasting actually looks like you know lots of people just since i started working have asked me so many questions and since moving to la i meet new people and they're like okay what like what's a good podcast and i'm like i don't know like i can tell you what mine does but like i have eight shows and it's a complete spectrum of downloads and listenerships and popularity based on our demographics and based on our topics and based on the frequency and based on what day it comes out and based on how old they are and all this stuff that I don't know how that compares to anybody else. But then when somebody actually publishes those details and stuff, I'm like, whoa, that's very private. Shouldn't just be putting that information out there. Excuse me very much. Yeah, I talked. Anyway, yeah, so it's, it's hard. It's hard. I was talking to, I don't know if you guys listened to the Hollywood Handbook on Earwolf, but um, I was talking to Sean from that, and he just kept like self-deprecating it, like calling it a small show. They're being compared to Comedy Bang Bang. And like, if you're comparing yeah. me to Comedy Bang Bang, fucking never happening but for my show compared to his show I was like oh my god that's amazing yeah and I mean even like I I think that especially like my brother my brother I mean the adventure zone do very very well and I was talking to the organizer of a podcast convention and you know about the possibility of performing one of those shows there and they said uh, well, we really only usually cover like travel and hotel for podcasts that do X amount, which was like four times as much as we were doing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wait, there's podcasts out there doing f what? Excuse me. And then I talked to other people where I say like, you know, they just started doing a podcast and they're like, I think we're doing really well. And I'm like, oh, what, like, what's your downloads per week? And then they tell me and it's like, is that good? Like, it's it's. It's been a long time since we started My Brother, My Brother and Me, and I remember what our downloads were at then. And I'm like, I, is that good now? Was that What's the inflation on downloads per week? Because the market is so flooded that, like, I have no idea what a good market share is. But here's the thing. That one, like, getting back to what I love about podcasting is you're never going to get canceled. If yeah. you do a show with your best right. friend where you talk about, like, your, your favorite – you know, Toxic Avenger movie every week and eight people listen a week, you're not going to get canceled. Keep doing that show if you have fun doing it. What if you choose but to do like, a podcast about Paul Blart 2 for the rest of the time? Yeah, well, 
that that's a vanity project. Um, <laughs> I also think I'm not worried about being. That's what we call labor of love. By the way, I think that was the yes. best idea for a podcast I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> hey, thank you. It was like that's like so fucking avant garde in the weirdest way. I love it. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I left. I lost you for a second oh, there. What'd you say? I, and it's like the most like I guess avant garde podcast I've ever heard of. It was like the fact that it'll go on to the end of time, like. Because people would still need to talk about Paul Paul Blart too. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it was a weird idea, and we, you know, yeah, but that, we think it's you're funny. Right, but you're but, like, you pay for it. I imagine it's very low cost. Exactly. And then it goes forever. Yeah, and we think it's funny, so we did it. And but I I will say that like it was a weird shift when I went from when I became like a full time professional podcaster that I did lose that edge of like if I have fun doing it, great. Because now my time is like, you know, it, so great example. I uh, Trends like these that I do with my roommate, Brent, which is doing well and in, in no way I'm complaining about. But it's the one that takes the most time out of my schedule. So I'll use it for example. And that is that, like, I have to research the trending stories and then get my notes together and then we record and then we edit. So all told, it's like eight to ten hours a week just for that one show. Which would be nothing if that was the only show I'm doing. But basically, it's like, that's Wednesday. Like, it's my entire day just doing that one show. And if no one's listening to it, like, I can't keep doing that. I've got six other shows I need to do in a week. But if I'm not professional and I'm working a job and that's the only show I'm doing and we're knocking it out on my Saturdays off, cool. Like, I don't have to worry about how many people. You know what I mean? So it, like, really shifted perspective when I started doing it professionally and like now I'm paying rent in Los Angeles and feeding my wife and I and our unborn child and paying for our car payments and car insurance and health insurance and, and keeping the lights on and paying for internet based off of how many people are listening to my podcast. Can you walk us through so it's, it you like, fuck the job that uh, you were a technical director for a theater in Cincinnati, Shakespeare. Yeah. So, Okay. It's, thank you for asking. Um, I know some things about because I, to, I like be a creep. I like talking about it. Yeah. Um, so no, I basically, what it was is I it makes my life way easier. Great. I love talking. You came to the right place. Yeah, um, I don't know if you heard. I I do twenty six episodes a month. Um, so <laughs> I twenty seven this month. I was working with since. Yeah. Right. I was working with the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, and I was very excited to be doing it. I, When I graduated college with my theater degree in acting, um, I, I thought I was done. I didn't want to do it anymore. I graduated, and I was like, yeah, I don't know why I got a degree in this. I'm no longer interested in doing it. And then, like, two years later, I went and saw a show at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, and I was like, I have to work with them. And I had a lot of experience doing carpentry, and I had worked in the scene shop in college. And so they were looking for a technical director, and uh, they asked me if I would be interested. I said yes, and I started working with them, and I was so excited to be doing it because they do amazing work, and I loved being a part of it. Uh, But right around the time I got my job with Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, like two weeks before, we did the first episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. So throughout like four and a half, five years, we were running like concurrent lives where I was – you know, working my brother, my brother, my brother and me, like, you know, six hours a week and working at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, sometimes like 80 to 90 hours a week if it was like a big build install week. Um, and after about four years of that, I still love the company, still love the work they were doing, but I was just burned out. 
um, doing 80 to 90 hours a week. You can only do for so long. While on the other hand, I've got this podcast that is making me so happy and I get to basically like make my brothers laugh and make people laugh and just like, you know, and, and our listenership and support during the fundraise was increasing. And so one day, like I came home and I was talking with my wife and I was just like, you know, I'm just not happy. And we'd been talking about moving for a long time, talking about trying something else for a long time. And finally she was just like, okay, well, what, without worrying about anything else, what would make you happy? And I said, I've always wanted to move to Los Angeles and see what it's like. I thought about moving there when I graduated college, but moved home instead. And I want to do podcasting full time. And she said, okay, so that was the plan. And also part of that plan was that we were going to move to Los Angeles for two years, try it out. And then at the end of the two years, see how we felt about it. And during that two years, we were going to really focus and work on having a baby. And so we moved here and right around that time we started doing the adventure zone and we moved here and then had, uh, and started doing bunker buddies. And then, and I was very lucky that at that point, just like being very, very, very frugal, um, I was making enough money just for my brother, my brother and me to afford rent. Um, but we were still like taking side jobs and freelance wherever we could so then we started doing Bunker Buddies and the Adventure Zone and had another fun drive uh, where we saw a big jump in support because of the addition of the Adventure Zone and Bunker Buddies. And so that allowed me to start doing it just full time without having to take on any side jobs or work anything else. Um, and so at that point, I went from working 80 to 90 hours a week for the scene shop for the, the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company to doing uh, about two and a half, let's see, two and a half hours a week for my brother, my brother, me, uh, maybe like four or five hours a month for uh, the Adventure Zone and about three to four hours a week for Bunker Buddy. So I suddenly had all this free time and I was like, listen, I can't, I can't be idle. I can't do it. Um, so I have all these ideas for new shows and I just kept meeting new people that I really liked uh, and wanted to work with. So like when I met uh, Renee and Allegra and Renee actually took over as my personal trainer for a little while and we traded off where she was my personal trainer and I gave her podcast advice. And eventually like we started developing a show together and we uh, and she and Allegra came to me and said, we want to do this show about dogs. And I was like, okay, I'll produce it. So then we started doing, can I pet your dog? And so then, uh, Brent and I, I was, I've known him since college. He was my roommate and, um, I went and visited him in, uh, New York in March of 2015. And one night, like we sat down and started talking about like what it was like. He's a big YouTuber. I'm a big podcaster. We were, we started talking and pretty soon, like five hours had gone by and it was like four o'clock in the morning. And so the next day I was like, yeah, we need to like do a podcast together. So we started working and developing that like two weeks later. And then Teresa was finally like, Hey, you're doing a podcast with all these other people. I would like to do one with you as well. And I was like, okay. So then we developed Schmanners. And then I met my best friend Tybee and she and I, like the first time we met, had like a three hour long conversation and we were like, okay, we're going to do a show together. And then we had the idea for uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop. So like all of these things just kind of organically grew out of the fact that I 
wanted to work and that I wanted to do more and every opportunity to do more, I took it because for me, there was no benefit for free time. Like, what was I going to do? Sit around and just like stare at the wall? Like my ADD just doesn't allow me to just sit idly by and not do anything. So I, I, the moment when I became a professional podcaster is like a very spread out two years um, where I still think there's so much more to do. And if I had time, I'd be doing 20 shows a week. Like I have so many more. I have a notebook full of ideas for other podcasts that I would be doing if my wife would let me do more than eight. Um, and so it's 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 weird and it's a lot of work. And it reminds me of when I first moved to Cincinnati, I lived with my little brother Griffin and he was working at Polygon as uh, I think Joystick at the time, actually, as like a video game reviewer and reporter. And I used to give him such a hard time and pick on him because, like, his job was just, like, video games. And I thought he had it so easy while I was working, like, two, you know, a full-time job and a part-time job in retail. And he was just playing video games for a living. And then I lived with him and got to see what his actual schedule was like. And it was so grueling. And there was so much responsibility that he held himself to and a level of quality that he held himself to that I felt really bad for having given him crap about it because I saw him work a full-time job when no one was around making him do it. There was no one breathing down his neck. It's just that he cared so much about the work that he did the work. He did it on his own. And now I'm doing the same thing where I think people from the outside look at it and go, you do podcasting for a living? You're so lucky. But like last week, we went on tour to D.C. and New York, and we left on Wednesday morning. So I had to do an entire week's worth of work in Monday and Tuesday. And it was grueling, and it was hard as shit, and I had to compact everything into 48 hours. And it's like that, I have a job um, that if I don't do, I don't make money. So it's not easy because anytime you have a job that if you don't do, you don't get to eat, it's not, your life isn't easy. Um, you're not, maybe you're not, someday you're not I'll be incredibly... Exactly. Exactly. Maybe someday I'll be independently wealthy and I'll have, you know, I'll I'll find out I had a rich great uncle who died and gave me $10 million and then I'm doing podcasts for fun. He's like, it goes to the middleist, the will will say. (laughs) I just said, I said, I said the will will specify. I said the will will specify. Go ahead. Everything goes to the middle list. Exactly. And maybe, and so I'll be super rich and I'll just podcast for fun and I'll skip weeks everywhere. And when I want time off, I'll take time off and I won't worry about what day it goes up or how early it goes up. But, you know, for now, it's it's a job, man. Uh, No, I mean, yeah, no, I I think anyone who does a. I feel like anyone who does a podcast like. Um, Chris mentioned that we're in this Facebook group that just has some podcasters in it. And every once in a while, one of us, you know, Chris or I will be like, man, I have this idea for a podcast I would love to do. And then we sort of talk about it for a little while. And then we're like, yeah, but we do not really have the time to do it. And uh, so mm-hmm. definitely I know that, you know, putting putting out eight podcasts, uh, particularly ones that are like well recorded and interesting and have a good concept, that is very far from an easy thing to do and that yeah we can appreciate that that would take a ton of time 
all my comparisons, I just think of like musicians or comedians where it sounds glamorous and yeah, it's a privilege to do it, but there's definitely some shit parts of it that I never want to do. Yeah, I think. Like, oh, we, yeah, like I, I wanted said, we to. We just went on tour, and every time. Outside, there's a sorry, lot. you what go. I was gonna say was, oh god. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Travis. Sorry. What I was gonna say was, oh my god. Sorry, I keep talking as soon as you talk. Go for it. Oh, and I was just saying, go ahead. There's a lag. Okay. Um, like I said, we just went on tour and every time we go on tour, we end up getting all these messages from people where they're like, where are you going partying after the show? Where can I go to buy you a drink? And the fact of the matter is, <laughs> it's so exhausting and it takes so much work to get to the end of each live show that we're beef. Like we're going to go to home and go to bed. <laughs> and like, I wish that we had the energy and like the fortitude to go out drinking after every show and then wake up the next morning and drive from DC to New York and do another great show and then go out drinking after it. But like in real life it's work and it's exhausting. And we start getting ready for the live show at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And the live show ends at like 11 PM and it's like a nine hour, you know, process, not to mention the travel that it took to get there. So it's like that kind of thing where I'm never going to sit there and be like, and let me tell you about my, why my life is so hard, except that like, I, I really love to drive home the idea. Somebody, uh, I just did an uh, interview for Uproxx with Dave Pemberton, and he asked me, like, what's it like to have your dream job? And it's like, man, at the end of the day, I still like doing it, and it's very exhausting, and it beats me up, and I, you know, am always nervous every time I put out a new episode, and I'm constantly trying to upgrade my equipment so it doesn't sound like shit, and it's so frustrating, and... I like, but I still like barely like doing it. So I guess it is my dream job more than any other job I've ever had. But it's not like one day I woke up mm -hmm. at like age eight and I was like, someday I'll be a podcaster. Like it all just kind of developed this way. And now it's just the job I do. And you were a carpenter, so you could actually compare it to actual backbreaking physical labor. Exactly. Um, and, and listen, this is not as hard as that. I'm going to like, let me be straight with you. This is not as hard as 90 hours of backbreaking carpentry work, but very few things are, yeah. but it is still a job. It's still work. And I'm lucky to have it. That's a good, um, are you able to talk about the CISO stuff? A little bit. I mean, we don't have a lot of details to give out yet. So like I could tell you that a TV show is happening. We're doing a My Brother, My Brother and Me uh, show. I keep saying TV show, but, like, it's on a streaming service. But, yeah, like, that... streaming show sounds like we're doing, like, fishing and stuff. It's um, still TV to me. I mean, like, I mean, look at Jessica Jones and Orange is the New Black and these popular shows. It's TV. Exactly. It's TV. And CISO's fucking great. Yeah, it's great. Like, their lineup is incredible. Um, And, like, I know the dude who runs it and, like... He's like a legit fan of my brother, my brother and me, which is why we're on the network or why we're going to be on CISO. And so like that already was a big feather in their cap. But then I start looking at the lineup and they've got like 30 Rock and Parks and Rec and Mighty Boosh. And like th that's just like the old stuff. Then Flowers that has um, like an amazing cast and it's dark and hilarious and wonderful. Jonah Ray's doing hidden America with them, which is hilarious and great. Like their lineup is incredible. Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher are doing a show with them. Like their eye and ear for comedy is amazing. So we're really excited to be on the network. Plus it's like $3 and 99 cents a month. 
Like, it's an amazing deal for how much content you're getting. And they've been wonderful to work with show, so far. And, like, I mean, it's hard to pitch on My Brother, My Brother, and Me show because it's a lot of us going, like, it'll be funny. Trust me. And they've been very good about going, like, okay, we trust you. So we're very much looking forward to working with them. Um, and we get, to fi- we get to film it in our hometown of Huntington, West Virginia. And I think that's going to be silly and wonderful and weird in a really great way. Um, and yeah, we're just, I'm really more than anything, I'm excited to see it because I'm, I, I think it's going to be really great. Awesome. Um, oh, sorry. It, uh, oh, Jacob. Yeah. You have something. Oh, well, I was going to say, I mean, um, one of the things that I've, so in preparing for this, um, I went back and took a little stroll through the Travis McElroy, uh, you know, Uvra and I, I had, I had, I will admit I hadn't listened to all eight of your podcasts previously. Um, but, uh, no, no human being should, but it's they'd really... go mad. They'd hear my voice in their heads <laughs> while they slept. Um, but, uh, you know, um, definitely like, I really, I really enjoyed, I, I think my, f- my favorite of the ones that I didn't listen to before was Interrobang. So I'm definitely going to keep listening to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the others, Thank you. Uh, but one of the things that I appreciate is just that, you know, you're someone who's, you've got, you know, you you co-host shows with women, you have co-host shows with, with men, and it seems like there's kind of, you have like a diversity of friends who you then also do podcasts with, which I just always admire because there are just so many podcasts out there that are just, uh, you know, a bunch of dudes, basically. Um, not to say anything about... I suppose ones where all the dudes well, are in the same family. I guess that's a special, that would be a special case, but. Well, you know, the thing about it is, is like, I would be lying if I said that on some level, like I wasn't aware of that when I'm thinking about like a new show that I'm like, is it, does this like, is there a different voice on this than it is on my other five shows? Like, I'm definitely aware of that and going into it. That said, like, I'm doing a show with Tybee because I really wanted to do a show with Tybee. I think that one of the... One, if I could, like, do a master class on podcasts, it, it would be... Okay, so three big takeaways that I try to convey to people when I talk about podcasts is that one, well, I guess one and two, is that you need one of two things in your show. You either need really strong personalities or a really great concept. If you have one or the other, you should make the show. If you have both, I think you're going to do very well. But I've listened to shows like, for example, uh, The Flophouse, Bad Movie Podcast. Okay, like it's not groundbreaking, but their personalities are so amazing, and hearing them talk about it makes it transcend from... And also, they've been doing it way longer than most Bad Movie Podcasts, don't get me wrong. But like... It's not, it's not, you're not saying to someone, you have to listen to it. You'll never believe it. It's a bad movie podcast. And then there's shows like the Beef and Dairy Network, which we just added to Max Fun, <laughs> where it's like a fake parody rural British beef and dairy show. <laughs> the, the concept is so amazing that it's like you have to listen to it just to wrap your minds around it. And like for uh, my brother, my brother, me is another example where we have great personalities. The concept, like we do advice, but we don't know what we're talking about. Okay. Like that's not like, 
awe-inspiring, but our personalities are great, so you keep listening to it. But if you have both and you end up with, like, for example, I would say the worst idea of all time with Tim Bat and Guy Montgomery is, like, a great concept where they watch the same bad movie every week for 52 weeks and review it over and over again 52 weeks in a row. Genius. And they're both wonderful, bombastic, funny guys that, like, those two things together, I think, make the show, like, transcendent and wonderful. And then the third thing I would say, so get a good personality and a good concept. And then the third thing is if you can find the whether it's uh, because sometimes it's also like, okay, it's a bad movie podcast, but it's with two women. And it's like, okay, great, cool. Because right now off the top of my head, I can't think of a super popular all-female cast bad movie podcast. And, like, Mm. that is upsetting enough to me. But also the fact that, like, you would need to convince someone to listen to an all-female podcast is very frustrating to me. And so I, I think that more people should purposefully have diversity in their shows. Um, because we sure as shit need it, one. And two, like, why why not tap into a market that other people aren't doing? And so, like, whenever I consult with people and I talk to them about their show, honest to God, the first thing I say is, like, have you thought about adding a female co-host? Because mm-hmm. instantly, instantly, you're going to vary the opinions. You're going to vary the life experiences that are brought to the show. From if it's like three dudes, if it's two dudes and a woman, instantly there's so much more depth and variety of life experiences. And while I don't think of it as pandering, I do think that like female listeners are instantly going to like be slightly more interested in your show because there's someone on it that they think like they could connect with better. And I'm not explaining it well, but the point being is that I used to say, just like, just start a show. And now I think, start a show and think about adding a person of color. Think about adding a woman. Think about adding an LGBT plus community member. Because, one, we need more of their voice in the world. Two, it will make your podcast far more interesting. And three, we need to give those groups more people to listen to that can share life experiences with them. Um, so diversity is, yeah. is something that I really push for in podcasts. That made me love you even more. That was right beautiful. on. That's my sentiments exactly. Thank I, you. I, yeah, I I, uh, I have to say, or maybe I don't have to say, but um, just reminded of this that I recently started listening to a brand new podcast. Uh, I forget how I learned about it actually, but it's called the Life Mark Podcast, and it's two women who review Lifetime and Hallmark made for TV movies, and I have just been enjoying the hell out of it. Oh, that's great. So. Um, you know, more That's podcasts terrific. like that would I be love great. That. Well, um, we're almost Agreed. at the uh, one hour mark. So before we kind of wrap it up, this actually, technically speaking, is a comedy podcast. So I'd love to hear what was your comedy, <laughs> like your comedy influences growing up and then up to like my brother and my brother and me. Because I, mean, I don't think you guys would call yourself comedians, but you're all very, very funny and have a great like uh, uh, I don't know, back and forth with each other. So like, I'm curious what you guys were listening to in the home when you're younger. Um. Yeah. So, like, I grew up personally watching a lot of Mel Brooks. He's my favorite 
uh, writer director. Um, Blazing Saddles is my favorite movie in the entire world, so that's had pretty significant impact on my sense of comedy. But like, we grew up with our dad showing us, you know, Three Stooges and a lot of Marx Brothers, mm-hmm. um, and also watching just like a lot of like Mystery Science Theater three thousand and. You know, mm. uh, like Ghostbusters and like think of any comedy movie from like the 70s to like 1995. And I probably saw it when I was eight and like Caddyshack and Stripes and a lot of Bill Murray. I'm saying it out loud now that I think about it. So maybe <laughs> Bill Murray was a big impact on my life. A young man. But like, like my Murray? dad is probably. T- yeah, I guess. I think my dad is to blame for most of it um, because basically, like, we watched so much shit with our dad that, like, I don't think it was, like, age inappropriate or anything, but I think that most kids our age weren't, like, seeking out. Like, I don't know that there were many other eight-year-olds, like, desiring to watch Monty Python's Flying Circus, but... Like, my dad mm-hmm. was like, hey, do you guys want to watch something with me? I'm like, yeah, you're our dad. Sure, of course. And then on top of that, our dad was also um, a radio DJ when that used to mean something. Um, when, like, he had the most popular, you know, morning drive show in the tri-state. And so I grew up listening to my dad do, like, back when that meant, like, he would record parody songs and do impressions and voices and skits on the radio, and there wasn't music played. It was all personality. And so it was all, like, three hours of two hosts being funny. And somewhere along the line, everybody started saying, no, no, just music. We People don't want to listen to people talk, and that's the special thing, and we just need music, and then we'll cut in and have you talk about the weather, and then we'll go back to music. But when I was growing up, like, we would listen to my dad do these characters that he had created and these parodies he had created and these jokes he had created. So that was a big impact on it. Um, and so then, you know, also just going through theater. Like, I grew up doing theater and doing, you know, a lot of, like, comedic plays and children's theater and acting and standing in front of people and getting laughs. And um, so, like, all of those things combined, I think, kind of make podcasts what they are so going into podcasting we were listening to jordan jesse go we were listening to a show called you look nice today we were listening to a show called uh yeah dude um a lot of real podcast pioneers as far as i'm concerned and on top of that we're listening to i was listening to at least and i can remember a family vacation built around this uh of listening to john hodgman's uh trilogy of the complete world knowledge um, starting with areas of my expertise um, and ending in that is all. And, like, we would listen to that. And, like, so Hodgman was a big influence. Now he's on the network with us. But he was a big influence on our sense of comedy. And so, like, all along the way, just take these, like, jokes and diverse points of view and these ideas of, like, what could be... I mean, shit, I remember watching sinbad's afros and bell bottoms with my friend nick reynolds when we were like nine years old and just losing our shit and i still to this day Mm -hmm. think that that was an incredibly hilarious stand-up special but like i grew up just consuming i still do consuming stand-up specials and something about the setup punch of jokes is my like i if you listen to my brother my brother and me Every so often, I will not say something for, like, two minutes and then make a joke. And that's because I'm spending that two minutes basically writing a setup punch joke. And 
uh, which is not a thing that I think non-comedian podcasters normally do, and I am a non-comedian podcaster, it's just that I'm so heavily influenced by, like, watching stand-up comics that that's comedy to me. And so, like, all of those things combine make for a really weird sense of humor that I think allows me to do eight different shows and have a different point of view on eight different shows because like I'm being influenced by so many different things only because growing up like my dad and my mom and my brothers, it was like my brother was playing the Dr. Demento show for me when I was like 10. And like, I had Mm -hmm. all these different influences coming together to make me the complete weirdo that I am now. Is it, it must be pretty cool to be in the same realm of some of those. Uh, I mean, like Jonah Ray is, uh, you know, we're out now writing for mystery science for thousand and the same network, John Hodgman. And I mean, you, you, you guys might be able to call yourself. Com- I mean, I would, I would feel comfortable calling you a comedian in a way, you know, your podcast is funny and you're on CISO and like you're part of the co- the new comedy boom and just a different facet. I listen, I, I, it would be false humility if I said that I didn't agree with you. I do. Yeah. And, <laughs> Except uh, none of us are stand-ups. And it, stand-ups are dicks. Yeah, but, I, I, you know, I was talking... I just met John Ross Bowie completely randomly the other day, and I'll pick up that name that I dropped in a second. And it was... <laughs> like, we were talking about... Yeah. He was on... Um, he, he came on an episode of Bunker Buddies with me, and we were talking about how frustrating it is to be a funny person and that the word comedian is what's applied there even if you don't do stand-up comedy and how that doesn't happen to like dramatic actors no one's like oh oh you're a dramedian like but if you are funny people label you as a comedian even if you don't do stand-up comedy um but like yeah i'm i am a comedian i make my living doing funny ish shows and you know, here's the thing. The most beautiful thing that I hope that everyone gets to meet people that influenced their sense of humor and that they are as lovely as John Hodgman is. Um, because stuff like that makes it like, oh, okay. I was absolutely right to like idolize this person. And now he's like a friend of mine. And like that kind of thing, that makes a lot of it worth it for me. But, like, uh, you know, I, I got to meet Hal Lublin randomly after uh, a, a San Francisco sketch fest, and now we're, like, good friends, and he's, like, the nicest dude I've ever met. And, like, you meet Paul F. Tompkins, and Paul F. Tompkins, like, I I walked up to Paul F. Tompkins having a conversation with my dad, and, like, my dad was just all a, a flutter, and, like, I've never met a nicer dude than Paul F. Tompkins, like, being very gracious to everybody who wants to talk to. And so it's that kind of thing where you get very lucky to be in the podcast world where I think it's full of very genuinely wonderful people. Um, and that I've been very lucky to meet uh, a lot of my heroes and they remain my heroes because they are wonderful. Um, I hope very, very soon maybe to meet, Mel Brooks and have him turn out to just be the greatest human being, but we'll see how that goes. But yeah, in general, it's been a, a wonderful blessing to get to meet these people that I just think are just the cat's pajamas. Do you ever have that weird mind trip that you're going to be that person to somebody like in like 10 years? Um, you know, I, I, I every so often we'll do a live show 
and I've had people come up to me crying and hugging me and thanking me for doing the thing I do. And it is an incredibly surreal uh, experience because I'm sitting there thinking, uh, okay, I, I, I'm just a dude. I've got to go home and go to bed in a second and I'm not okay. And you're crying. Um, but you know, the thing is, is I, at the end of the day, everybody is that to somebody, whether you're a teacher who a kid in the fifth grade just thinks you're the greatest human being alive, or you're a firefighter who rescues someone's cat, or you're a bus driver who, you know, is a very careful driver and no one ever thinks about how scary it is to be on a bus, whatever. Everybody is that to somebody at some point in their lives, I think, or like has the potential to be, I guess I should say. And I'm just very lucky that I have the potential to be that to a lot of people. And I try not to take that for granted. And so every chance I get, I try to do things like push diversity and tell people to be nice to each other and tell people that they have a chance to be a hero to somebody and that everybody should do it if they get the chance. That's uh, beautiful, man. Uh, Jacob, do you have any anything uh, I missed? Uh, I, you know, I mean, I feel <clears throat> this is the second time I've been on your show, Chris, and and the, the both times I've been like, can we just talk for another three hours? But I th- I think that we've covered a lot, yeah. and uh, I'm happy with it's it. Whole, like, I really appreciate you inviting like, me on for this one. Oh no, thanks for setting up. Uh, well, Travis, uh, thank you so much for doing this. This is uh, such a treat. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, the easiest thing to do is to go to McElroyShows.com, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y Shows.com. Um, you can find all eight of my shows, all of my brother's shows, including all of our YouTube stuff, including their hilarious series Monster Factory, which if you have not watched, I could not recommend more. It is one of the funniest it's things great. in the world. And yeah, so go check that out. And uh, I'm at Travis McElroy on Twitter. And I try to tweet really positive stuff if that helps. <laughs> it does. Excellent. Um, yeah, that's how we got connected. Uh, well, thank you so much. And um... thank you so much. Yeah, I'll send you a Dropbox link here very shortly. Okay, thank you. Bye. In the future, humans create AI. Three days later, they have sex with it. Gigahose is a robot sex comedy with what's been called a South Park level of shock value. Creators Adam Lash and Kevin Gilligan take their concept in smart, surprising directions. It's been described as pure genius with a real clerks-like charm. Catch season one now at youtube.com slash gigahose.